Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Lives podcast. The show that explores life purpose by taking you on a journey into different people's unique and somewhat squiggly worlds. We're your hosts, Helena and Claire. In this episode, we speak with Sarah Jiro, who's a trauma-informed yoga teacher with a background in dance and choreography. In this fascinating conversation, Sarah shares how she came to find her calling in life through yoga and serving others. We talk a lot about trauma, including intergenerational or family trauma, and how trauma can be stored in the body. We also delve into how we can begin to release trauma through some really useful but quite simple techniques that you can start implementing right away. We thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and hope you get a lot out of listening to it too. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. I'd like to begin by asking you about something that we were talking about a few weeks ago, and correct me if I'm wrong. So you recently described your role now as kind of coming full circle. Do you want to give um, an overview of your journey and career life mo- um, life moves? Definitely. And first of all, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Um, but yeah, I think I recently realized that I've been on this journey for years without noticing I was on this path, but everything aligned. And I had this light bulb moment where I realized, wow, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. And when I was in uni, which we call college, um, I experienced some um, dramatic events. And I knew that as a result of that, I wanted to serve and to serve people who also have a trauma history, but I didn't really know in what capacity. And I started doing things on a voluntary basis um, at my university, which gave me a real sense of direction and allowed me to understand that because of being relatable to the people that I was working with, which were primarily younger women who had experienced some sort of sexual violence that I was able to meet them where they were. But then I kind of went on this other experience of deciding to do my master's, which brought me to London and uh, trying to pursue dance and teaching dance and choreography and doing um, a lot of that work. And in order to stay in this country, I needed a work visa. So I wasn't able to get that in the creative arts industry. So I ended up at a desk job, which was fine and it served its purpose, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I always knew that I felt trapped there, but I didn't know how to break that. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And and then I started practicing yoga and I started practicing yoga in a big way. So I had done yoga off and on for years. And then all of a sudden I started to really get involved in it. And and I noticed that my body was responding in a way that I didn't recognize was happening straight away, but I I got the mental benefit. Like I felt like, oh, I, I had the mental focus. I didn't feel as much stress mentally, but then my body was actually releasing things too my body was starting to release some of my trauma history and things started uh, to bubble up to the surface, particularly as a result of the pandemic. And all of a sudden I hit this level where I was at a point of overwhelm. And it, it took me to that to realize that, oh, 
And I was already a yoga teacher at that point, but to realize that, oh, I need to use yoga for healing. This is where my life has been pointing me to go. I can use yoga and the tools of yoga to help other people who have experienced trauma. And so then I did a whole 100 hour trauma training in yoga and I'm now working in that. And it's really lovely. It's really rewarding. And I feel like sometimes I feel like it's selfish because sometimes I'm like, I'm getting more out of this than everyone else. So your route to this point, it's almost like you intuitively guided yourself through it though. You say at that point in the desk job, you were struggling and, um, you know, really trying to find what you were meant to do. Um, but then at some point it just sort of came, you sort of intuitively, subconsciously guided to yourself to this point in life to have this realisation that you're doing what you're meant to be doing. Definitely. And it's almost like I needed that time because... For a while, when I was younger, I wanted to become a dance movement therapist, um, which again is very similar to how I ended up. But this is like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago when I actually started thinking about that's the direction I wanted to go in. And then I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, try something else. And um, in the end, it's like, that's, that's what I should have been doing, except not because I'm in the point now in my life where actually I can be doing something like that I can be of service to other people and I can be using the tools of movement and um looking at healing from the somatic perspectives and using yoga as one of those tools whereas if I had gone down that route prior to where I am now I would have burned out because I hadn't done enough of the processing of my own history. I hadn't done enough for myself in terms of healing and coming through my own trauma story to be able to be with other people in a capacity that would have been helpful. I would have definitely, my nervous system would have been fried. I don't know if this is too personal, a question or too abstract a question, but you say that at some point, um, on your yoga journey, you felt the literal, the release of sort of the trauma stored inside of your body and then went on to process that, um, um, I imagine in different ways. But I don't know if you can somehow um, describe what that experience feels like, if that makes sense, to, for the trauma to be released where it is stored in your body is that a quite a subtle process or is that a there are moments of sort of you know those clicking um release wow moments yeah um for me and this is completely a personal experience people explore this in different ways and have different um experiences of their own but for me I had subtle things that were shifting and that were changing. And the entirety of that was a softening. And then when I got to the point where my muscles weren't gripping as much, where my breath wasn't trapped in my chest, where my breath was able to move into my belly, where my shoulders were able to relax down, where I could close my eyes in a yoga class. In the beginning, I couldn't close my eyes. 
because I had to be searching the space to make sure that I was safe and make sure that I was doing the right thing. And it felt that I couldn't relax into the practice. And so there was a subtle change that would happen every time I stepped on my mat. And then there were moments of really massive release where I would spend probably half of a class or half of my own practice at home sobbing, crying, shaking, sweating when I was sitting in a, what should have been a restorative shape where, oh, I'm supposed to be feeling super grounded and blissful, but moving and holding a shape in a particular way for me ended up finding that physical release where then I was able to on a certain level find sensation back in areas of my body where I lost touch with. Would you like to talk a little bit more about your trauma training and and, and also perhaps um, just trauma in general and how we we all carry trauma no matter how big or small and some tips for people listening on how they might go about starting to work in a more embodied way with themselves. Definitely. So I think the biggest thing and trauma is a word that gets thrown around a lot. People say, oh, I have this, and it's super traumatic and, you know, and, and they don't really know what they're saying. And I'm not blaming anyone for using it in that way, but Trauma is understood as the experience that happens after an event, or it could be something that that is not a single event, but is a ongoing thing that's that's happening that allows people to uh, recognize that they're not safe. So things like early childhood um, abuse that's ongoing absolutely can create trauma in the body. Um, and so it's not the event itself, it's how you react after and how your body responds after that creates what then often gets labeled or not as PTSD or CPTSD. And you don't need to have a label or a diagnosis for you to have experience of trauma or to have a trauma story. Um, often actually when I talk with certain students, uh, they don't know that I'm teaching in a, a trauma-informed way because if I said to them, oh, well, you know, all of you have experienced trauma. Like, what are you talking about? No, we haven't. That's Tim down the road. He's the one with trauma. And not recognizing that actually, as, as you've said, everyone has really experienced trauma and I believe that now. So I know that there was a, a statistic that came out pre-pandemic, which said 70% of adults had experienced trauma in their life. And I would say that now as a result of COVID-19, 100% of adults have experienced trauma in their life um, because it is a disruption and an overwhelm of the nervous system on a level where you cannot cope anymore. So it's this idea of moving out of your window of tolerance. And this comes from the work of Dr. Dan Siegel. So the window of tolerance is this kind of base, your level where you can stay calm and deal with some stress that arises 
find those moments of um, grounding, but also moments of activation, but all within this window where you feel that you're in control, where you feel that it's fine. You're kind of riding the wave of life. You're riding those ups and downs in a way that that feels like, yeah, it's okay, this happened and I can move on. Or, oh, I feel really tired right now, but tomorrow after a good night's sleep, I'll feel more energetic and understanding that there are those ups and downs. And then once you move out of that window of tolerance and you become in a state of overwhelm, you can't rationally cope with what's happening. So you end up storing that trauma in your nervous system and in your body. So it's why for a lot of people, talking therapies are not super effective in response to trying to heal from trauma and trying to grow from trauma. And that's why these body-based practices are so effective. And they're effective often in tandem with the talking therapies. So there's a big move in the therapy world to incorporate trauma-informed yoga or somatic practices uh, into the work. And so a lot of times now you're seeing where a therapist is working alongside of a trauma-informed yoga teacher or the therapist themselves might be a trauma-informed yoga teacher. Um, and it's, it's super effective because the way that trauma affects the brain means that it's altering memories, it's altering states of your brain that mean that when you talk about it, you can't process it because it's in your lizard brain where trauma impacts is in your lizard brain, which means that it is not able to be addressed by the prefrontal cortex, which is where we have rational thought. So you need to access it from a different perspective in order to then add on that level of talking to also heal. Um, and that's why things like getting people embodied through yoga or other practices or other tools so that they can start to come back into their bodies and feel safe so that they can feel that their body is not an alien to them, but that it is actually their own body. Um, and that's really the biggest thing. So it's giving people agency over how they feel and how they sense so that they don't feel trapped in their trauma story. That's really interesting, um, especially what you said about the talk therapies working with more embodiment therapies where is a good place to start or would you start with say one or the other or both together and would you say again correct me if I'm wrong that the I guess traditional talk-based therapies help to bring you more into that prefrontal cortex or help you to kind of rationalize what's what's gone on and then and then the embodiment therapies would help you to essentially release that so question one of where do you start uh it depends on the individual. It depends on what they have access to. Um, also want to bring up the fact that access to yoga, especially in London and in other um, Western cultures, and also access to therapy in any capacity is often 
those that are privileged that have that access. It's it's very exclusive. If you don't have the money to go to a yoga class, it's often hard to attend a yoga class. I know here we're extremely lucky to have the National Health Service, but sometimes the wait time, and it's not a fault of the National Health Service, but sometimes the wait time is, is very long that people give up before they ever get in contact with a counselor or a therapist, or they end up having to do group therapy that doesn't work for them before they end up finding a therapist that does work for them. And so recognizing that privilege plays a huge part in this is really important. And it's part of the work that I'm trying to do, which is to break down those barriers. Um, so I do a lot of community-based yoga teaching um, where it's either funded so that I still get paid for the work that I do, but the students don't have to pay for the class or um, that it's a donation-based class. So they pay whatever they can contribute. Um, that being said, also, as I, as I mentioned, everyone has experienced trauma now. So um, if you do have the financial resource to access it, there, there are other opportunities there for you as well. Um, but I think for most people, if they're already aware of the fact that they have had chronic stress or uh, have a diagnosis of, of PTSD or something like it, or have been told that they have severe anxiety or just feel that in, in their selves, sometimes you can just feel it and you can know that like, okay, something's not right. I don't, I don't feel myself or that doesn't seem like that reaction was a normal reaction based on how other people react in that scenario. And if you can start to recognize that and start to understand, I think that for a lot of people going into a yoga class can in and of itself be a traumatic experience because if they're not familiar with the practice and if they walk into a yoga studio, say, there's a vibe that maybe doesn't work for them because there's probably, you know, this expectation in their mind that they've built up, which isn't to say it's the case of the studio, but that, okay, they go into this, this space and they have to be a certain person. And so I think it is really important to, if you do decide to, okay, I, I am going to go to my first yoga class, or I am now going to go back to yoga after not doing it for a while, to identify where you want to go, try to speak to a teacher beforehand. As a trauma-informed teacher and knowing other trauma-informed teachers, we don't often publicize on our websites or on our social media pages to say, hi, if you have PTSD or chronic stress, come find me, because that's that's not really important in a way. All of my teaching is trauma-informed and I can support everyone that I teach. And I don't want to make it exclusive to say, oh, if you're a if you don't have a PTSD, then you can't come to my class. Um, it's also, as I said, a lot of people don't recognize that they themselves are storing trauma. So you don't want to say, oh, you can't come because, or, or have them think they can't come because of that. But it is really important that I think someone understand that they will feel safe in a space 
anyone that wants to come to my class, if they reach out to me, if they drop me a line on, on social media or if they email me or however they want to get in touch, I would absolutely have a conversation with them. And I would be honest to say, I'm not the teacher for you if that's the case. And I think those who are teaching from a trauma-informed lens will be honest about that to say, look, I don't think I'm going to be the person to support you. And they might signpost them in a different direction. And I can even um, refer people on to someone who I think might help them more. So I have some um, therapists and counselors that I use as referrals that I, I have their permission to, if it's appropriate, to say to someone, hey, you know, I noticed this was going on. I know that, you know, it's not really any of my business, but if you want to have a chat about further support, do let me know. And I might be able to um, signpost you in the direction of a professional. Um, and I think it's really important to not overstep your boundaries. So I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to become anyone's therapist that comes to my yoga class. Um, and I make that really clear as well. Um, and then I think more and more uh, therapists, if you end up going that way to finding someone, finding a therapist, um, more and more therapists are doing the same. So they're having a referral list of yoga teachers. So I know, for instance, I am on one therapist's referral list in terms of um, if someone wants to practice yoga or if they encourage that person to practice yoga. And there was a second question in there, Claire, and I don't remember what that is. So if you could let me know, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, it was um, it was basically the tips on how someone might get started with releasing any trauma that they they have or anything they can start, say, or even do right now. Yeah. So that's I mean, that's really big and it depends on the person. And there are so many little things that can help and then so many big things that can help. And uh, the biggest thing I would say is start to as much as you can track your nervous system. And it's not it's not easy to do, but there are techniques of how you can do that. And you can do that by listening to your breath. And I don't mean that auditory listening, I mean feeling how you're breathing, noticing if it feels stuck anywhere. That in and of itself can be super triggering for people. So I would definitely say if you're going to go that route and you haven't had any experience and you sit down and you try to pay attention to your breath to be super gentle with yourself and maybe reach out to someone who is a trauma-informed yoga teacher so that they can help you with that. Orienting, which is a technique of when you walk into a space, particularly a space that's unfamiliar, we all do it naturally as humans. But if you walk into a space and it's unfamiliar, to look around, to consciously move your head and look at different things, to look at shapes, colors, textures, to look at where the doors are, to look at where the windows are, because often people feel so trapped and they won't realize how that's manifesting. But if they know where the door is, it allows them to settle a little bit because they know, okay, I can leave. I don't have to stay here. Um, 
that is one of the tools that's used by Resma Minikin, who is fantastic and, and wrote My Grandmother's Hands, which is just a wonderful book and you should read it. It's, it's really great. Um, he's a therapist in the US and he's uh, working a lot in uh, intergenerational trauma, particularly in the BIPOC community, and his work is just fantastic. He has a lot of tools actually in that book that are really useful. Um, and then I would say another thing in terms of tracking your nervous system, if journaling works for you so that you can maybe at the end of the day start to um, write down like, these are some things that were bothering me today. And then also say, was that in my control? Was that out of my control? And recognize most of life is out of our control and that's okay. So you don't have to try to control it. But those things that were in your control, okay, what can you do next time if that happens again? And just to start to notice patterns, um, drawing for a lot of people is useful. There's a kind of body scan technique where if you draw an outline of your body and then sit and try to feel, um, okay, how are my shoulders right now? And then drawing with colors and maybe using words um, to say like, oh, that feels red today. And you don't have to know why it feels red, but it might just be like, yeah, red. And if there's a word that is associated with that to write that down on your drawing, so that might be tense. And then maybe it's, oh, my belly feels orange or my belly feels an orange spiral and you draw that kind of spiral. And it doesn't have to be any particular thing, but it's just that idea of, okay, it's okay for me to go inside my body right now and to feel sensation. Did you mean drawing around your body on a piece of paper? So you're like on the, the floor and then, and then as you go along, you might say, do a traditional body scan, but as you're going, you say might start at the head and then notice colors or sensations and then maybe draw that on to the to the bit of the head and then you would say move down or is that you yeah you start with different parts of the body and then you can map that onto um an outline of of whatever you draw as your body and it doesn't have to look like anything every time I do them I think they look like a gingerbread man um, <laughs> they're not the most artistic um but yes, if you're familiar with the body scan, doing that, starting, you know, at your feet or either at your feet or at your head and then going through different things. But there are different ways of doing it where you can, um, if you notice that it's something has happened where you say you got into an argument with someone recently and then you notice, okay, there's, there's a lot going on. I don't know how to sit with this. I don't know how to be with this emotional response to then draw your outline of your body. And as you sit and try to understand that, that response, that emotional response in your body to start to then, yeah, map that out by using colors, using different things. I mean, if you if you were to look at some of the ones that I've done, there are times when it's like just little dots of black everywhere because it's like my whole body just feels like it's like, ah, in this sense of anger. Um, and then there are times when it's like these 
beautiful swirls of color because everything just feels really calm and great. So you can do it at different times too. And it doesn't have to be a lengthy process. It can be, I'm going to sit down and do it for 30 seconds because I just had a wonderful cup of tea and everything feels great. And I want to track that for a moment. So it's understanding that you can do it at any point, depending on where you are and how you want to start to understand your own uh, nervous system behavior. And little by little, everything in terms of a trauma-informed perspective is less is more. Don't do too much. Little steps at a time. You mentioned before the book that you read, um, My Grandmother's Hand, which was that the book about intergenerational trauma? Yeah, so it's, and it has um, practices within it. So um, you can go through and and start to look at some of of the practices, um, see which ones kind of benefit you as well. Um, The author, Rosna Menikin, he actually suggests that you don't do it in isolation, that you try to do some of this with other people because there is that power of community. Do you want to talk a little bit more about um, intergenerational trauma and family trauma. Yeah, so I am no expert in this. So please take whatever I'm saying with a grain of salt. Um, Actually, 10 spoonfuls of salt. Um, But uh, yeah, so epigenetics has now stated that you can link seven generations back in terms of inherited traits. So things that you can look at within families have been passed down for many generations. And of course, after seven generations, it doesn't just cut off because there's going to be the the person before you has that eighth generation. So like my mother has the eighth generation, even though I don't have that far back, but she will have still passed it to me. It's just that the science can actually Uh, look at it specifically to seven generations but it's how actually if we have unresolved trauma that we can then pass that on to our children and that's passed in the form of gut microbiome so um, you inherit your gut microbiome directly from your mother So, and one of the ways that trauma often manifests in people is digestive disorders. That's one of the ways that unresolved trauma ends up registering in a body. So you might get IBS from your mother because of six generations or five generations past someone had a trauma story that was unresolved. Um, There are other things that... um, that can happen that often are seen as the family traits, you know, facial expressions or um, the way that someone might respond to a loud sound or anything like that can, can often, in a sense, not be yours, can have come from previous generations. Um, And this idea of intergenerational trauma is really important to understand I think when when looking at the whole spectrum of trauma because 
it comes back to this idea of a lot of people might be like, no, I don't have any trauma, that's fine. But you might be storing someone else's trauma. So you might still need to find a way to resolve that. You might notice that your whole family has this way of hunching forward and kind of clenching their abdominal muscles. And that response, that natural response of moving forward, curling everything into a little ball, is our mammalian response because that is where our vital organs are. And that, again, could be a learned trait as a result of some trauma that was in your family in the past. Um, and a lot of what um, Rosma Medikin's work is, is about somatic abolitionism. So it's this idea of particularly in the U.S. and the impact of the slave trade has not stopped because of the intergenerational trauma that's being passed down. So I had two questions and maybe this sounds ignorant and correct me or maybe um, explain it further to me if I'm wrong, but how do you see the difference? I know you began in dance and that's so obviously like bodily movement, somatic, what, the difference between what does yoga bring and that form of movement from dance? And can you have a similar level of release or um, bodily therapy from dance if you had the intention there to do so? Um, and then my second part of the question was then, when did you start to bring in that trauma-informed um, approach to your yoga teaching? Did that begin at the start of your teaching or did that come um, later on? Because I've personally done some of your classes and I always find them very specific in the way that you phrase things. And I can see that they come from, from hearing your explanation of trauma-informed approach. And I find that like really, I've always found that a very unique and um, yeah, very unique way of teaching that I personally find very useful. So I did my uh, trauma training with an organization in Australia. They now run online trainings. Um, they're called Yoga for Humankind. Absolutely fantastic. But yes, they were very clear about how important language is and how important invitational language is, how important language to give people agency in their own practice and in their own body so that there's choice that it's never do this put your hand here that's the right way of doing it it's always maybe you could try putting your hand a little bit more to the left today see how that feels does that work for your shoulder maybe that doesn't feel great it's okay go back to where you were and it's um to me, I find it really spacious as a teacher, because although I end up having to talk more, it gives opportunity for people to find self-inquiry, which is a huge part of why I think yoga is, for me, actually, the tool that was more useful than dance. So dance can be a fantastic way of approaching trauma and releasing trauma and healing and growing from trauma 
and there's a lot of um, research into that as well. But um, I I think that yoga and the power of yoga is because it is not just asana. It is not just the physical practice. There is so much more that can be brought in that then automatically translates into the rest of your life. Whereas dance is, okay, I'm dancing now. And then I stop and I go make dinner. Yoga is, oh, I have to learn about myself now. And I have to find that connection with myself. But finding that connection with myself allows me to find the connection with the rest of the world. I think now is a good time to move on to our quick fire questions. Great. Um, so the first one is in one word, what does the phrase finding your purpose mean to you? Vibrancy. So next question, what is the one book that you would love to share with as many people as possible? Maybe it's one that you've mentioned already. That's okay. It's not actually. And um, uh, it's The Little Prince. And I have been reading The Little Prince, or it has been read to me, I should say, in the beginning, um, since probably I was about three years old and have loved it my entire life and have found that each time I go back to it, whether I read the whole thing or find a segment to read, that it has wisdom and it has wisdom that speaks to me regardless of the stage of my life. If there's one takeaway from The Little Prince, what would it be? A one like lesson or nugget of wisdom? To never lose your sense of curiosity. How would you like to be remembered? I don't really know if I'm honest. Um, depending on the day, I might say different things. I think probably a consistent or as consistent as I can be is human. I'd like to be remembered as human, which that's, you know, not physical form human, but human in the sense of being able to relate to other people and as much as possible understand that I'm going to make mistakes regardless of what I do, but to continue to learn from those mistakes, to move forward and to try as much as possible to be in right relationship with the world around me. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because something that we didn't talk about, which we can talk a bit about now. One thing that I've noticed that you do amazingly well is your ability to, we talk about this lightly, the idea of being able to step out of ourselves and really put ourselves in someone else's shoes or, and, and it's not some, it's not a light thing, you know, it's actually something that's quite difficult to do, but you, you seem to master this you're very self-aware and very considered and very able even even if you haven't experienced something yourself very able to 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 still empathize to be with that person going back to what you were saying earlier about meeting someone where they're at is this have you always been like this or is this a, a, something that you've developed um over like a skill that you've developed over the years like how did this come about because you're very good at doing it both it's something that I think I've always had and I would say that that's probably something intergenerational that has been passed to me my mom has this incredible ability to be with people in a very 
empathic way and as does my grandmother so I think um, it was given to me and probably given to me because this was the my journey this was what I was meant to do but then in addition to that I have done a lot of work to process what's happened to me in the past to work through my trauma stories to work through my anxiety and depression that I have suffered with in the past and actually there's research now that has said that those who are able to experience post-traumatic growth have a greater capacity towards empathy. Just following on from that just mentioned that maybe there was sort of a bigger purpose to it um to your life or maybe things you might have intuitively gone in a certain way but you sort of um suggested that maybe there was it was perhaps laid out for you in a certain way as well can you just say a little bit more about that or maybe that's a personal belief or maybe it's something that you think holds true to your life I don't, I don't want to say that I believe in fate or something like that, but I do believe that we all have our inner truth. And a lot of that is coming from yoga philosophy, but I, I stand behind that in a way that I honestly believe that I am standing in my truth, able to do my work and that everything has happened up till now for a reason. Our final question is, if you had to give someone one piece of advice or a quote about finding your purpose, what would this be? There's a quote by Grace Hopper who um, was in the military, but was um, a computer scientist in the military in the US. And she said, ask forgiveness, not permission. And I strongly believe that we sit back a lot of the time waiting for something to happen, waiting for permission to do something. And if we can create our metaphorical seat at the table without having to be asked to come to the table, then we can often find what we're after because we're doing it from our own inner strength in a way that speaks to us. Oh, beautifully put. Um, before we, is there anything before we? Um, kind of come to a close is there anything else you'd like to add I think if anyone is listening and um, they are recognizing that perhaps this is an avenue that they would like to explore that um, please recognize that the way that your body responds to trauma is normal that there is nothing wrong with you that you are absolutely 100% where you need to be and it's just about taking the next step. Thank you so much for coming on Sarah it's been yeah an absolute pleasure and just yeah fascinating getting to just talk more about 
um, talk more about this. Very much appreciated. Well, thank you so much for having me. It has been a real honor to be on with, with you two wonderful humans. Um, and I, I feel really uh, alive right now. So thank you so much for having me as a guest. Thanks for listening to the Squiggly Lives podcasts with your hosts, Helena and Claire. Head over to our website, squigglylives.com to subscribe and hear more shows. That's all for this episode. See you next time.